Welcome. I'm glad you all made it here. You had to follow some kind of a road or something or if uh, by some movement of God, he brought you to this place. It's just pretty awesome that all of that's come together. There were uh, in years past a uh, the process of getting across America for early, early people was to follow trails that would give the little signs that would give them a clue as to how to get from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean or from the, uh, they would go back and forth all across. It, it was uh, crisscrossing. There were tribes here, people in uh, all the way up to Alaska going south into South America and back and forth. And did you know, you may not realize this, there were no four-lane interstates with signs. They had to follow a different kind of sign. They had to follow the sun, the stars at night. They could track a trail with an impression in the dirt and a bent piece of grass. And do you know today, if people were looking for signs, even a four-lane highway with signs on it wouldn't do it for them. They get lost. They get confused. They can't find their way around. How did people do it with the signs that they had that led them to find things across the land, across the seas, around the world? Just signs. We are dealing with the signs of God for everyday life. He has revealed himself to every living person in every age, and he has done it since the beginning. Even with a four-lane road, they'd miss it. But he doesn't always use a four-lane interstate. He is communicating with signs, signs that connect Signs that may be an impression in the dirt, sometimes a bent blade of grass. But he is communicating, and he is showing us signs, and they all come together, and they lead us forward. Some of them are more clear than others, and they connect, and they point to him. And we are in the process of looking at a number of those, as we have over the last few weeks. And we're going to look at some more today, Promises and Prophecies. So as we get into this one, we're going to look at some things that have happened in our own time, modern times, take us back a little bit, but bring us up to where we are, uh, closer to where we are today. So let's look at a promise of blessing all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to go back and see what that says, what we are looking forward to, how that plays into the whole And this is God speaking to Abraham in the earliest of days. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on this planet will be blessed as a result of what God is going to do with Abraham and his family. So God's promises. 
as he begins to develop this, he, he gives us uh, a layout of some things, and, and these keep coming back around. So we need to recognize these. God's promises. People, his promises is, is to a people. It's to Abraham to start with, to, to his children and children's children. And then somewhere in the midst of all that, of that and through them, there's going to be a blessing from God to everyone on this planet. So he's at work, but it's through people. And the promises are going to be made to people. To, and he is providing wisdom. And as you think through what God did in bringing the people out of Israel, and we got a couple of million of them coming out of out of Egypt. I mean, Israel is being brought out of Egypt. And then he takes them to Mount Sinai and he gives them instructions. And that's wisdom. God is speaking to them. He's giving them more. He's giving them uh, what Moses has said to deliver them. And we have some of that early history with the Passover, his communication to Pharaoh, to the, to the false gods, dealing with all of that through those miraculous dealings uh, to release them. But then at Mount Sinai, he gives them instructions. Uh, there's 613 laws. There are uh, interactions. There are instructions about how to build the tabernacle, what the priesthood would be like, how they are to take care of the camp and one another, all those kind of things. It's wisdom from God to provide them with the insight they need to live life to the best. And he's giving them specific instructions because of their situation, the times in which they lived, and what they were called to do. So he's given that, his communication to them, and is guiding them for their good. So it's people and wisdom, and he wants them to have a place. He's called Abram. Abram's been called out of Ur of the Chaldees, so that's over in southern Iraq, and he calls him to come over to a land. He doesn't even know where it is, and he and Sarah make that journey. They come to the land of Canaan, and now he says, walk it, check it out. This is the land I'm going to give you and your descendants. This little chunk of land here is yours. So the people, the wisdom, the land, the promise was given, and now... We're going to watch that come and go and come and go through the years. And God tells them up front through Moses that that's going to happen. That these things are going to, uh, as they rebel against God, he takes them out. And then he brings them back and returns them. So there's a, a process of this happening over and over again. Let me take you to the prophecy of blessing in Matthew 1. Verse 1, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David, and of Abraham. So what's Jesus? He's a blessing to everyone in the world. He's come. He has made a difference. But we have a record of, when you go through Matthew's list, here's this process from Abraham. Luke gives one too that takes you all the way down to Jesus. All of these people, people of the land, people of Israel, people who have been given God's word, God's wisdom, and now all of that comes together in the Messiah and Jesus. And he's bringing together the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy of blessing. 
He is a blessing to the world. Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he comes. This is the one. This is the one that's been promised. This is the one that was promised to our earliest ancestor, Abraham. And now, through all of those years, through all of the difficulties, through all of the comings and goings in and out of the land of Israel, here he comes. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's a blessing for all people. So God's given his promises. He's given prophecies as to how this is going to come about. And through all of the different aspects of, uh, and changes in history and the pressures and the changes in who's ruling what country when, the wars, the battles, everything that went into it, here he is. Jesus has appeared, the one who will take away the sins of the world. It is, it's amazing to watch this all come about. So he's promised that, and we've seen that, that God has told them that they would be taken into captivity. Uh, Jeremiah talks about them being taken into captivity for 70 years out of Jerusalem, out of Judah, uh, and the Babylonians are going to hold on to them. And then something happens, and the Persians defeat Babylon. And when that happens, Cyrus is king, and he says, I want you to go home. I want you to go back to Israel. I want you to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So he sends them back, and that had been prophesied earlier. So we've got... Uh, ...you're going to be brought back. Then the Romans come, and they destroy. And then we have a coming back again. And we have the process of that, so... We're going to review a little, little bit of that. Things that is to happen is the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are to receive their Messiah. They're to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So that's got to happen as we get closer to this time. So 1867, the Jews. Uh, are following the Messiah. There's like a revival among Jewish people coming to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah. We have 2,000 years of history, or nearly 1867, so all those centuries of Jewish people denying, except for a handful here and there. And then there's a, there's a movement that happens May 14, 1867, Reverend Charles Schwartz spoke to the Hebrew Christian Alliance in London. And a messianic movement begins. I mean, it had already started to move, but then he organizes it. So this is the first big organization. And maybe you've heard of Jews for Jesus and the Chosen People Ministries. And there's a number of those that are going on now. But before this, not so much. So we have this movement and, the, and these messianic congregations that are going to take off and ministries that are going to take off who are preaching Jesus to the Jewish people. And they are listening and hearing and coming to Christ. 
1867. So let's review 1867. The stranger, Mark Twain, reports on the land of Israel. When? 1867. He's the one who's saying the words that Isaiah said the stranger who would come and visit the land would say. And it's written in his book, which becomes his biggest seller in his life. The old city of Jerusalem is discovered. The old city, the, old, the new city is built on top of it. But as this dig goes on from this British officer, Charles Warren, they get down and find the old city, the actual location, which they didn't even have, and measures it, which is prophetic because that was told, foretold that that would happen and someone would come and measure the city. 1867. So we have the land. We have a fulfillment of the prophecy about this land and, and its state and, and that it doesn't even grow grass. And it's amazing that all of that is happening. And then a messianic movement and the first meeting, the gathering in London, is 1867. And all these elements are coming together. The British Army takes Palestine. Uh, 1917, as a result of uh, some changes in the in the government, as a re- because of World War One and the battle with the Ottoman Turks, the Ottoman Empire uh, is collapsing. They had control of Palestine, and the British take it. And we have uh, General Allenby in 1917 entering Jerusalem after the British victory over the Ottoman Empire. So 1817, and then we have the Balfour Declaration, which is the key political statement that says these people need a home. Uh, We need a place for these people to land, an Israel, a place for them to to live, a land that they are recognized. They need to be uh, released to go and, and establish a home place. Fifty years from 1867 to 1917. So that gives us our uh, a jubilee year, 1867 uh, to 1917 is our 50th year celebration. And we have to have, uh, in the midst of that, a time when uh, God is working, God is bringing the people. So you got the people, they are coming to the Lord, uh, coming to know Jesus as the Messiah, and they now have an opening politically and actually with the land beginning to open up for them to return and be legitimately back in Palestine, their homeland. Think about that for a minute. How many people have been dislodged? How many nations do you know of that have been dislodged and then over a period of time, centuries, have returned and been given their land back. The Incas, Aztecs, only one. And we're having it unfold in our time as Israel moves back into this place because God said, you will have that land. And he's going to keep his promise. And he's given the prophecies, he's given... Indication. He's giving. He's given signs in the scriptures and in history as he moves nation and moves people. He uses the times 
And we're looking at these from a different perspective. Often we can't see beyond the end of our reach. And that's the world we live in. And here he is moving things back and forth to accomplish his purposes. And he's moved the British Empire to defeat the Ottomans and defeat the Germans during this, this battle in World War I, which now changes the hold that every other nation had on Israel, on the land of Israel, since the Romans 2,000 years before. It's changed. And he is at work. And he's doing some things that follow this pattern of the Jubilee, which is the time when things are to return according to Scripture. A Jubilee year is a time to return back to your land. The original owner gets to go back. It is a time of uh, return, restoration. All of those things are happening in a Jubilee. And the word has to do with the blowing of a trumpet. So when the Jubilee is celebrated, there's a trumpet, the shofar, that is blown to, to signal the celebration and the return of all of these things back to reset and to continue forward so that the original owners receive this back. Who did God give the land of Israel to and who just got it back or is getting it back as we watch this progress? So 50 years, 1867, we got some early inklings. Impression in the dirt, a bent blade of grass. Now we've moved 50 years. Balfour Declaration, the greatest power on the planet, the British Empire at this time, says, I want these guys to go back. General Allenby defeats the Ottoman Turks in that area, gets the land. He enters in, Britain enters into Jerusalem, and then they say, Y'all come. Allenby, by the way, and Balfour are both believers, Bible-believing believers, and they're not thinking they're fulfilling prophecy. They just think, we think this land belongs to these people, and and here they are coming to Jesus, and things are happening. So, uh, beginning of the modern state. Oh, no, Theodore Herzl. We'll look at that. First Zionist Congress. Again, part of the review, 1897 in Basel, Switzerland. And he's, he's generated this, this group, and this is the Zionist Congress. These are the people who want to go back to Zion, which means you know, Mount Zion is where the temple, Jerusalem, all that sits. So he's, the Zionist idea is just to go get the land, to have the land for the people to live, to have their own land back. So this is what he wrote in his journal in 1897, at Basel, this is the beginning of the modern state, modern Israel. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. He just had the first Zionist Congress. That's it. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. If I said this out loud today, I would be greeted with universal laughter. In five years, perhaps. Certainly in 50 years, everyone will perceive it. He said that September 3rd, 1897. What's 50 years? 1947, the UN votes to establish a Jewish state. Resolution 181 was adopted by the UN General Assembly on November 29, 1947, with 33 countries voting in favor, 13 countries against, and 10 countries abstaining. 
They said, yes, there should be a land back in Palestine for the Jewish people. And the resolution passed. So we've got to talk about somebody who was important in all of this. Uh, Truman, God's man, Truman. So Truman, another Bible-believing Baptist who, who is a, uh, he's from Missouri, he is, he is uh, strongly in favor of doing things right, of being an honest politician. He, he's straight-talking, if you've ever read or heard him, you kind of pick that up. And he is a, uh, just a, just a good guy, just a basic guy who winds up in, a, in an extremely important position. So he's a U.S. Senator from Missouri from 1935 to 1944. He is, uh, not Remarkable as a senator, but he's a solid, uh, solid guy. He he is voted in by a political machine, Democratic machine in Missouri, and uh, as is often the case, and he didn't really listen to them because he didn't like being pushed around. He wanted to do the right thing. So if they came up with the wrong thing, he didn't listen. We need more of those guys. Vice President of the U.S., January 20th, 1945 to April 12th, 1945. Huh. President of the United States, April 12th, 1945, January 20th, 1953. So he winds up being president. How in the world? Franklin Delano Roosevelt has made it to his third term. We haven't had any presidents who do that, who are presidents who have done that so he got picked up the presidency during the depression carries us through world war ii or into world war ii now we're at the end of all of that and he decides to change vice presidents and he thought it would be good to play it safe pick a guy from the middle of the country doesn't rock any boats just kind of a he didn't even really know him Let's just pick Truman. Let's take that guy. He can be vice president, and then we'll move forward. So here Truman is, vice president of the United States. We're in World War II. It's not long until something has to be done after the victory with Germany. Something needs to be done about the nuclear weapons. Should we drop an atomic bomb on Japan and stop this war? Should we drop that bomb or bombs, they dropped two, on Japan? He had to make the decision. He made a decision to say yes. Wouldn't you tell the person who is second in command, who's right behind you, will replace you, wouldn't you tell them that you are in development of such a weapon? Or even plans for what you're going to do with the countries that are fighting the war. Or what's about to unfold as this war comes to an end. What do you do? Well, Roosevelt didn't think Truman needed to know any of it. He had no idea. 
he winds up being president before, before he finds out those important details and decisions had to be made. And he had nothing from his predecessor. So he, uh, Roosevelt has a, a, a stroke, passes away suddenly, and Truman goes from being vice president, knowing nothing about all of these plans, to now being president. And he is now the one everyone in the world is going to look to. What an amazing moment for this guy. And it all lands on him suddenly. The guy who wants to do the right thing. And he is looking to God to do that. So he is still trusting God to lead him, to uh, try to choose what's right for the country, what's going to be right for some other countries that they were interacting with. All of that. He is, he is in a difficult situation. At the Potsdam Conference, he is gathered with Churchill and Stalin, and they're dividing up. Europe and making decisions, uh, World War II, uh, following the, the defeat of Germany, decisions are having to be made. He, he is informed that Japan is not listening to them and invasion is imminent and we will lose at least a, a million American lives in the invasion of Japan, plus however many they kill along the way of Japanese people. Or we can drop these bombs. He decided on the bombs, as you well know, 100,000 lives are lost, but it stopped the war. He had to make a tough decision. He did more. So then people were talking. There had been a thing, a follow-up to World War One called the League of Nations, and it was a way of trying to get nations to talk and decide things without going to war every time something came up. And that organization didn't work well. He was behind a second organization that would kind of pick up that idea and run with it called the United Nations. So if you've heard of that one, he's the one who said, yeah, let's do that. So they began doing that. It's the United Nations when the time came that said, should we allow the people, the Jewish people, a sovereign nation land back in Palestine? And he said, Tell the UN to vote yes to the people who represent him. So he helps form the UN. Our delegation to the UN said, yes, let's do it. And now we have a vote that says, let's form a nation in Palestine. Do you see any leading here? God is bringing things together from all different angles to bring this thing about so that at this time in history, 1947, that something amazing would take place. Fifty years after Herzl said, the Jewish state will be formed. And there it is. Now, they take possession of it a little bit later. So, wait. Sometimes I have to look at my notes so I don't jump ahead too far. Okay, we'll hold on that one. So he is, he is uh, influential in getting them the land. Fifty years after Herzl says those things, we've got the jubilee that leads to getting, getting the land with the, 
which seemed impossible with the Ottoman Empire. It's been there for hundreds of years, and now it's folded, and the British Empire is taking over. And whoever blesses Israel is blessed. So the British Empire at that time was led by a number of, of believers, Christians, who also supported Israel, and as a result, their empire flourishes. There was a change as things began to happen, and it began to turn and be not so supportive of Israel. Even in this vote at the UN, the British, they were part of the group that abstained. They didn't vote for it. So the U.S. is now the leader in supporting Israel. Who became the greatest power, the most blessed nation in the world? Abraham was told, those who bless you, I will bless, Genesis 12. And he's keeping that promise. And here it is. They're brought back to the land. Impossible situation. Thousands of years later, back to where God had planted them in the first place and said, I've got more to do with you. So we back up. Uh all the way back to Isaiah. This is King Cyrus. When I say, say of Cyrus, this is God speaking. Isaiah has given the prophecy. He is my shepherd. He will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. Isaiah 44, 28. So God has given that 750 B.C. Jesus hasn't been born. we got... 750 years before first century even starts and he's already said Cyrus has said go build they did because they weren't there when Cyrus got there they were in captivity the temple's destroyed Jerusalem is in ruins and then he sends them back and provides the funds for them to start building he sends them back they begin to build and Things change in the temple that Jesus goes into is as a result in, in Jerusalem. Jesus walks in as a, as a result of Cyrus saying, go back. Cyrus is a king, a Persian king. He is not a believer. He is not following the one true God. He is probably corrupt, probably lies and uses strong language. He's probably difficult to get along with. He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's arrogant. And God says, he's my shepherd. He will do as I say. Y'all ever been worried about who's in charge? Who's president, who's king, who's queen, who's doing what? Because their attitude's not right, because they don't know Jesus, because you ever been there? Let me remind you of Isaiah 44:28. He is my shepherd. And God will get done what he says will get done. Have you worried, squirmed, stayed up nights? God says he will get done what he will get done. And Cyrus was his shepherd. So, Truman has gone into this 
project of getting Israel back in the land. He helps form the UN. He has the UN delegation vote in favor of it. The British Empire has to move out at a particular date. That's May 14th, 1948. When they move out, the nation is formed. All of those things have uh, occur under Truman's watch. A rabbi from Israel comes to see him. The chief rabbi of Israel comes to see Truman in the White House reads him the prophecies of Cyrus about going to rebuild. When Truman heard that, and this man said, you are Cyrus, he began to weep in the White House because he realized what God had done in him by moving him from Independence, Missouri to the White House through weird circumstances, unusual How did he get picked for this role? And why did Rosa... And he was accomplishing his plan. And he did it through Truman, who recognized that God had used him. Later in his life, he was addressing some a a delegation and, and... Reflecting on his administration, his work, his life, he said, I am Cyrus. Because of the history that God is using, signs that point to him, to point that he is still accomplishing his purposes, that he will use whoever he chooses to use, and he will call them his shepherd, because they will do what he has in mind. Does that mean that Cyrus gets off the hook for the evil he does? Not hardly, but he did this, and he sent the people back, and they rebuilt, and they rebuilt the temple. Great things happened. From the fig tree, when its branches bud and its leaves begin to spread, his return is very near, right at the door. Are you seeing anything beginning to blossom? Because it's that time. And it gives us a clue, a sign, that God keeps his promises, the prophecies are true, his book can be trusted, that he will accomplish what he will with all the nations of this world. History points to God and lets us know that he is at work. His signs are everywhere, all around us, every day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself, making yourself known to us and those around the world. Thank you. Yeshua HaMashiach, the one bringing us to this point, allowing us to live at this time in history to see you at work. Keep us, guard our minds that we might not forget, that we might not fall into fear, that we might 
fail to recognize what you are doing. Help us to see the signs. In Jesus' name, amen.